Welcome to A Crash Investigation, the podcast, the show where we dissect and discuss plumbing crashes in aviation history. I'm your host, Kai Jordan, and in today's episode, we are going to be discussing Korean Air Flight 801, the crash investigation. But before we continue, as always, do not forget to like and rate us on the podcast platform that you're listening to us on, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. Also, do not forget to check out our Buy Me A Coffee website and our Patreon link will be in the description below. And without wasting any more of your time, let us officially get started. It is the greatest aviation mystery of all time lies a massive passenger jet and the remains of its 239 passengers and crew. Uh, good morning, we have uh, a smoke uh, uh, problem and we're doing emergency descent to level 150. In December 1988, a passenger airliner was bombed over Scotland in what was one of the largest pre-9-11 terrorist attacks. Korean Air Flight 801 was a scheduled flight for the 6th of August 1997. Its origin was Gimpo International Airport, Seoul, South Korea, and its destination was Antonio B. One Pat International Airport in Guam. The airplane used was the Boeing 747-3B5, and the call sign was Korean Air 801. Just in case you find yourself being confused throughout this episode, I'm also going to be referring to Korean Air Flight 801 as just Flight 801. The crew and passengers. The captain of this flight was Park Young-chil, who was 42 years old at the time of the crash. He was hired by Korean Air on the 2nd of November 1987. Here I'm quoting from the final report as always. And I quote, he held an airline transport pilot or ATP certificate issued by the Korean Ministry of Construction and Transport or MOCT on April 19, 1992 with type ratings in the Boeing 727 and 747. End quote. He was qualified as captain of the 747 on the 20th of August 1995. And I quote, according to Korean Air Records, the captain had accumulated a total of 8,932 hours of flight time, 2,884 hours as a military pilot, and 6,048 hours as a civilian pilot, end quote. His medical certificate was issued on the 13th of March, 1997, with no limitations. The first officer of this flight was Song Kyung Ho, who was 40 years old at the time of the crash. He was hired by Korean Air on the 10th of January 1994. And I quote, he held an ATP certificate issued by the FAA on July 10th, 1994 and a Korean ATP certificate issued by the MOCT on March 28, 1997. He received a 747 type rating on 11 March 1995, end quote. He was qualified as first officer on the 23rd of July 1995. 
and I quote, the first officer had accumulated a total of 4,066 hours of flight time, 2,276 hours as a military pilot, and 1,790 hours as a civilian pilot, end quote. His medical certificate was issued on the 13th of June 1997 with no limitations. The flight engineer of this flight was Nam Sukun, who was 57 years old at the time of the crash. He was hired by Korean Air on the 7th of May 1979. And I quote, he obtained his flight engineer certificate on December 29, 1979 and was qualified on the Boeing 727 and 747 and Airbus A300 airplane, end quote. In total, he had obtained 13,065 total flight hours with 11,088 hours as a flight engineer on all aircraft. His medical certificate was issued on the 5th of June 1997 with no limitations. In total, there were 237 passengers on board and 14 flight attendants. The flight. So before we actually discuss the flight, I'd just like to discuss the things that happened before the flight took place. And I quote, The flight crew arrived at the dispatch center in the Korean Air Headquarters building in Seoul about two hours before the scheduled departure time of 5 minutes past 8 p.m. Seoul local time on August 5, 1997. The original flight plan for 801 listed a different captain's name. The captain aboard the accident flight, aka Captain Young Chul, had initially been scheduled to fly to Dubai, United Arab Emirates. However, because the accident captain did not have adequate rest for that trip, he was reassigned the shorter trip to Guam. End quote. So Captain Young Chul was tired before flying. And we all know that fatigue can affect flying abilities. So this is our official red flag, the first one of this episode. So, at 27 minutes past 9 p.m., Korean Air Flight 801 takes off from Gimpo International Airport. Captain Young Chul is the pilot flying. Four hours later, Flight 801 arrives in the Guam airspace. At 3 minutes past 1 a.m., 18 seconds, First Officer Kyung Ho makes contact with the Federal Aviation Administration's Guam Combined Center or Radar Approach Control or CRAP. The Boeing 747 at this point was at 41,000 feet, means sea level, or 2,497 meters. At 5 minutes past 1 a.m., the air traffic controller then tells Flight A01 to land on runway 6 left. First Officer Kyung Ho acknowledges this. At 10 minutes past 1 a.m., the air traffic controller then tells Flight 8012, and I quote, Descend at your discretion. Maintain 2,600 feet, means sea level. First Officer Kyung Ho responds by saying, Descend 2,600 pilot discretion, end quote. At 11 minutes past 1 a.m., 51 seconds, Captain Young Chul does a briefing with First Officer Kyung Ho and Flight Engineer So Kun about landing at Guam. At 13 minutes past 1 a.m. 33 seconds, Captain Young Chul says, and I quote, we better start descent, end quote. First Officer Kyung Ho lets a traffic controller know that they were, and I quote, leaving 4104600, or 792 meters, end quote. The air traffic controller acknowledges this. At 20 minutes past 1 a.m., one second, Captain Young Chul explains, and I quote, If this round trip is more than a nine-hour trip, we might get a little something. With eight hours, we get nothing. Eight hours do not help us at all. They make us work to maximum, up to maximum. 
He then went on for several seconds, continuing by saying, Probably this way, hotel expenses will be saved for cabin crews and maximize the flight hours. Anyway, they make us 747 classic guys work to maximum. End quote. Suspicious. At 21 minutes past 1 a.m., 13 seconds, Captain Young Chul then says that he was, and I quote, uh, really sleepy. End quote. This is also a red flag. At 21 minutes past 1 a.m., 59 seconds, First Officer Kyung Ho then says, and I quote, Captain, Guam condition is no good, end quote. Captain Young Chul then responds by saying, uh, it rains a lot. At 23 minutes past 1 a.m., 45 seconds, Captain Young Chul then instructs, and I quote, request 20 mile or 32 kilometer deviation later on to the left as we are descending, end quote. First Officer Kyung Ho asked, don't you think it rains more in this area here? Captain Young Chul then responds by saying, left request deviation 10 mile or 16 kilometers. At 24 minutes past 1 a.m. 30 seconds, the air traffic controller then approves first officer Kyung Ho's request to deviate 10 mile or 16 kilometers left of track for weather. The crew then starts to discuss the weather conditions and the deviations for six whole minutes. At 26 minutes past 1 a.m. 25 seconds, flight engineer Shikun then shouts, It's Guam! Guam! At 29 minutes to 2 a.m. 17 seconds, First Officer Kyung Ho then tells aircraft controller that the 747 was, and I quote, clear of Charlie Bravo cumulonimbus clouds. The aircraft controller then instructs the crew to fly to a heading of 120 degrees. Flight 801 was supposed to land on runway 6 left via ILS or instrument landing system. At 22 minutes to 2 a.m. 49 seconds, the aircraft controller then instructs flight 801 to turn left heading 090 join localizer. First officer King Ho acknowledges this instruction. Here I'm quoting from the final report. At this time, flight 801 was descending through 2,800 feet mean sea level or 853 meters mean sea level with the flaps extended 10 degrees and the landing gear up. At 21 minutes to 2 a.m. 30 seconds, First Officer Kyung Ho then says, and I quote, Glide scope, uh, localizer capture, glide scope did, end quote. The aircraft controller then responds by saying, Korean Air 801 cleared for ILS runway 6 left approach, glide scope unusable. First Officer Kyung Ho then acknowledges this where they should land, but not that the glide scope was unusable. At 21 minutes to 2 a.m. 55 seconds, flight engineer Sukun then asks Captain Young Chul, is the glide scope working? Glide scope, yeah? Captain Young Chul then responds by saying, yes, yes, it's working. This is our official second red flag. At 20 minutes to 2 a.m., First Officer Kyung Ho then corrects the captain by saying, not usable. At 20 minutes to 2 a.m. 6 seconds, and I'm quoting from the final report, the CVR recorded the sound of the altitude alert system chime. According to information from the flight data recorder FDR, the airplane began to descend about 20 minutes to 2 a.m. 13 seconds from an altitude of 2,640 feet mean sea level or 810 meters mean sea level at a point approximately 9 nautical miles, 17 kilometers or 10 miles from the runway 6 left threshold, end quote. At 20 minutes to 2 a.m. 33 seconds, an unidentified pilot then said, Glyscope is incorrect. 
First Officer King Ho then says, approaching 400 feet, 122 meters. Four seconds later, Captain Yong Chul then states, and I quote, Since today's glide scope condition is not good, we need to maintain 1,440 feet or 227 meters. Please set it. The air traffic controller then instructs Flight 801 to contact the Agana Control Tower. They contacted the tower and first officer King Ho then said, Korea Air 801, intercept the localizer 6 left. At 19 minutes to 2 a.m. 1 second, the Ghana Air Traffic Controller then clears Flight 801 to land. First Officer King Ho then acknowledges this and Captain Young Chul requests that the flaps should be set to 30 degrees. After this, and I quote, no further communications were recorded between Flight 801 and the Ghana Control Tower, end quote. Captain Young Chul then asked for the landing checklist. The 747 at this point was descending through 1,400 feet mean sea level or 427 meters mean sea level. The ground proximity warning system or the GPWS called out 1,000 feet or 305 meters. The crew was not responding to the GPWS warning at all. So please keep this in mind when we talk about the investigation. Captain Young Chul then said, no flags, gear and flaps. Flight engineer Sakun responded by saying no flags, gear, and flaps. Captain Young Chul asked, isn't Glyscope working? No one responded. At 19 minutes to 2 a.m. 59 seconds, First Officer Kyung Ho then asked, not in sight? Flight engineer asked another question, uh, and I quote, about 18 minutes to 2 a.m. 14 seconds as the airplane was descending through 840 feet mean sea level, or 256 meters mean sea level and the flight crew was performing the landing checklist the gpws issued a minimums minimums annunciation followed by a syncreta alert about three seconds later end quote they were still not responding to the gpws warning yet again at 18 minutes to 2 a.m first officer king ho then said let's make a missed approach since the 747 was at 730 feet mean sea level or 223 meters mean sea level at this point and was descending rapidly. Flight engineer Sukun then instructed for a go around. However, and I quote, about 18 minutes to 2 a.m. 26 seconds, the aeroplane impacted hilly terrain at Nimitz Hill, Guam, about 660 feet mean sea level and about 3,3 nautical miles, 6 kilometers or 4 miles from the runway 6 left threshold. Flight data recorder data indicated that at the time of the initial ground impact, the pitch altitude of the aeroplane was increasing through 3 degrees. The accident occurred at 13 degrees 27,35 minutes north, la north latitude and 144 degrees 43,92 minutes east longitude during the hours of darkness. End quote. 228 people died including Captain... Young Chul, First Officer Kyung Ho, and Flight Engineer Suk Hun. 23 passengers and 3 flight attendants survived. The investigation. So the National Transportation Safety Board or the NTSB was in charge of investigating this crash because it happened in Guam. And Guam, according to Wikipedia, is a U.S. island territory in Micronesia. So the meteorological information at the Guam International Airport reads as follows and I quote, 
Wind 090 degrees at 6 knots, 11 kilometers an hour or 7 miles per hour. Visibility 7 miles or 11 kilometers. Present weather, shower vicinity, sky conditions scattered, 1,600 feet or 488 meters. Broken, 2,500 feet or 762 meters. Overcast, 5,000 feet or 1,524 meters. Temperature, 27 degrees Celsius or 81 degrees Fahrenheit. Dew point, 25 degrees Celsius or 17 or 77 degrees Fahrenheit, altimeter setting 29,84 inches or 76 centimeters HG, remarks showers vicinity northwest to northeast, end quote. So there were good enough conditions for this flight to land. The crash site. This is a long part, so here we go. Examination of the ground scars and the debris pattern revealed that the accident aeroplane impacted high terrain with the left outbound engine, main landing gear and left wing at an elevation of about 660 feet mean sea level or 201 meters mean sea level on a magnetic heading of approximately 0,63 degrees. The main wreckage site area was in a gully covered with dense vegetation. The wreckage distribution area was about 2,100 feet or 640 meters long and 400 feet or 122 meters wide and included airplane debris, three strikes and ground impact marks. All major structural components of the airplane and control surfaces that were not consumed by the post-impact fire were identified along the wreckage path. The terrain along the wreckage path was hilly and ranged from about 673 feet mean sea level or 205 meters mean sea level at the first three strikes to about 582 feet mean sea level or 177 meters mean sea level at the main wreckage area. End quote. So the pathological information, this is, I think, one of the most interesting parts to come out of this entire investigation. So here we go, and I quote. The remains of the deceased airplane occupants were examined by the disaster mortuary of Guam to determine the cause of death. Autopsy examinations and toxicological analysis determined that the airplane occupants died of blunt force trauma, thermal injuries, and carbon monoxide inhalation, end quote. So essentially, this is basically saying that the people who survived were incredibly lucky. Moving on to the flight crew, tissue and fluid samples from both pilots and flight engineer were transported to the FAA Civil Aeromedical Institute, or CAMI, for toxicology analysis. The CAMI laboratory performed its routine analysis for major drugs of abuse and prescription and over-the-counter medications, and the results were negative. The analysis detected ethanol in the blood and tissue samples of both pilots and the flight engineer, but no ethanol was detected in the eyeball fluid sample taken from the captain. All specimens were noted in the laboratory report to have been received by CAMI in putrefied condition. End quote. So it's basically nothing out of the ordinary. Moving on. According to the captain's medical records, he consulted a personal physician on July 27, 1997 and was diagnosed with bronchitis. The physician prescribed three medications, Copan, a medication to open the upper airways, Vibram Yisin, an antibiotic and central a medication in the benzodiazepine class of drugs that is frequently used as a sedative. A sedative. 
The post-mortem tests conducted by Cami on the captain's blood specimen were negative for benzodiazepines and no chemical testing was available for the detection of copan or vibramycin. End quote. So various tests were done on the actual equipment that was on the aeroplane and they concluded that flight 801 descended prematurely and it was kind of due to some of these reasons that I'm going to mention right now. There was either confusion about the status of the glidescope and this is true because Captain Young Chil was saying that it was working whilst First Officer King Ho was saying that it was not working. There was confusion about the transmitters, of course the captain, we're going to discuss that later, but of course the rest of the crew. So we're going to start with the rest of the crew. And I quote, CVR evidence indicated that the flight crew seemed confused about and did not react to a series of audible ground proximity warning systems or GPWS alerts during the final approach. However, FDR data indicated in the aeroplane's descent profile followed and the CVR indicated that the flight engineer continued to complete the landing checklist. End quote. So this is our third red flag. Then coming to the captain, because we all know that the captain did a lot in this flight. Here we go, and I quote, As the approach progressed without encountering the visual conditions the captain had anticipated, the captain likely experienced increased stress because of his inadequate preparation for the non-precision approach, which made the approach increasingly challenging. CVR and FDR data indicated that shortly after the captain appeared, appeared to become preoccupied with the status of the glidescope, he allowed the aeroplane to descend prematurely below the required intermediate altitudes of the approach. Thus, the captain may have failed to track the aeroplane's position on the approach because he believed that he would regain visual conditions, the aeroplane was receiving a valid glidescope signal, and or the aeroplane was closer to the airport than its actual position and quote our red flag number four. So fatigue possibly because we have been hearing stories about how maybe the pilots were tired. Well, research was actually done on the captain's sleeping patterns and the reason why they did not do the same tests on the flight engineer and the first officer was because that data was unavailable. So with the captain and I quote, the accident occurred after midnight about 18 minutes to 1 a.m. in the flight crew's home time zone, which is one hour behind Guam local time. The arrival time was also several hours after the captain's normal bedtime, which is about 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. CO local time, a time in which his body would have primed for sleep. CVR evidence indicated that the captain was tired. At the beginning of the approach, the captain made unsolicited comments related to fatigue, stating, uh, really sleepy. Thus, the captain's comments could have reflected a significant performance degradation, end quote. So there was definitely fatigue in this accident, and I think that... Out of all of the people, the captain was tired the most because remember, before the accident, he was actually scheduled to fly from Seoul to Dubai. But because it was too long and he did not rest adequately, he decided to take a shorter flight to Guam. But that does not mean that he was still awake enough and coherent enough to land this airplane in Guam. Furthermore, the captain's family 
then decided to say that the captain did get enough sleep by taking a nap that day. However, they did not specify whether or not the quality of sleep was good. So the findings. Now, before I continue with the findings, I have to say that there were a lot, like a ton of findings, but I only chose like five that honestly were not mentioned in the rest of the episode. But also, if you do want to check out this final report, then I suggest you go to our Patreon link in description. Yes, I am essentially trying to self-promote the Patreon. You're welcome. So, the first one being, and I quote, the first officer and flight engineer failed to properly monitor and or challenge the captain's performance which was casual to the accident number two the captain was fatigued which degraded his performance and contributed to his failure to properly execute the approach number three korean air's training in the execution of non-precision approaches was ineffective which contributed to the deficient performance of the flight crew number four Terrain depiction on the profile view of approach charts could result in increased flight crew awareness of significant terrain on the approach path. And number five, the Korean Civil Aviation Bureau was ineffective in its oversight of Korean Air's operations and pilot training program. End quote. And I know I should have added this way before. But when I was going through the final report, they kind of mentioned that Korean Air actually had a pilot shortage at this time. So possibly led to the crash. Maybe maybe Captain Young Chul was actually telling the truth when he was going about his spiel of saying that the 747 pilots should not get treated properly because they have to work long hours and they just get paid the same. So maybe this then led to more and more fatigue, which thus led to the crash. I'm just putting it out there because I also don't know. The probable cause, and I quote, the National Transportation Safety Board determines that the probable cause of this accident was the captain's failure to adequately brief and execute the non-precision approach and the first officer and flight engineer's failure to effectively monitor and cross-check the captain's execution of the approach. Contributing to these failures were the captain's fatigue and Korean Air's inadequate flight crew training. Contributing to the accident was the Federal Aviation Administration's intentional inhibition of the minimum safe altitude warning system at Guam and the agency's failure to adequately manage the system, end quote. So it's fatigue, pilot error, air traffic control error, and the FAA's error, essentially. The recommendations, so the recommendations set out by the NTSB to the FAA, they read as follows. Number one, consider designating Guam International Airport as a special airport requiring special pilot qualifications. And number two, issue guidance to air carriers to ensure that pilots periodically perform non-precision approaches during line operations in daytime visual conditions in which such practices would not add a risk factor, end quote. There are many more, and I'm sure you're wondering why I'm not touching on the fatigue factor of this episode. Well, it's because this is not the first flight that went down due to fatigue. So therefore, they added all of those recommendations to those other final reports of those other accidents, if you understand what I'm saying. So that is why they did not mention that whatsoever. And in this flight, they were just focusing on the non-precision approaches in airports. 
there are more of them but as i've said before you can go to our patreon link in description since we don't have a sponsor link in description where you can just check out all of the final reports but that is the end of today's episode i really do hope that you enjoyed it it took me a long time to research this flight but hopefully hopefully it makes sense thank you so much for listening once again check out all of our links in the description box below rate us five stars on your podcast listening platform thank you so much for listening once again i've been your host kyle jordan and i'll catch you in the next one cheers